Hello, this is Jason E. Welcome to the Trading and Ascension podcast. Let me lay down a couple truths and you'll quickly know whether you should stick around or just move on. Within the known but hidden reality of your life is a version of you that is a master day trader, reaching all of your goals. And part of my life's purpose is to guide you through the personal and spiritual growth journey, revealing that version of you directly towards consistent profitability. And we do that on every episode. How? Well, on every show, our time is invested into unveiling transformative insights, the kind that that spark a fire within you and empower you to take immediate psychology-based actions that help you express the best version of yourself. That's boring. You're boring, everybody. Hey, thinking that? Get out of here. <laughs> Look, this is not entertainment. This is going in for goal attainment. Now for today's episode... Today, we have a special guest on the show. We'll be talking with Robert Raymond Riopelle. He's talking to us today from British Columbia, Canada. He's a trainer, a speaker. He has a company named Rob Rocks Edutainment at Siderary Limited. He also is an international best-selling author of the book Success Left a Clue, uh, which you can get a copy of uh, if you want to grab that. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later because I definitely did that myself. Um, but some great information in there. Uh, forward by Les Brown, T. Harvecker um, also has a mention there. Um, he's an app designer, a serial entrepreneur, and is said to be a breakthrough expert. One of the, the biggest messages that, that Robert has is living your life authentically and understanding why you make the decisions that you do. So Trading Ascension listeners, stay tuned. Today we will ascend. So like we hate to drive through, let's get it in. Robert, welcome to the Trading and Ascension podcast. Uh, Jason, thanks. I'm so happy to be here and looking forward to having a little bit of fun with your audience. Excellent, excellent. Well, this definitely should be fun. I know you have some some great things first. And so I, I want to start a little bit because you got some interesting parts of your story that I understand. But I want to go back to maybe just a, a tab before that and talk about maybe a first passion you had, uh, you know, where you... Uh, in theater, in school, were you an athlete? What were some of the first things you loved before you got into the the business endeavors that you're in currently? Well, now the question is: Is it did I think I was, or do other people think I was? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, one of my bucket lists has always been that I would love to act in something, and over the years, it's actually changed. I want to do a voiceover. I want to be an animated character. That so that is a passion. Um, yeah, I love sports. You know, with my timing, I, I wanted to be on the football team, but because I also like track and field, I, you know, I did a little bit of track and field when I was in high school and that. And, you know, just when I was younger, I was also going to be an officer in the Navy because I was actually in something here in Canada called cadets, where I was in sea cadets. And I actually had a scholarship to go to the military college to become an off, um, an officer. But luckily, Jason, I'm going to say this. At the age of 16, through cadets, I had the opportunity to spend three months on board a Canadian Armed Forces ship and do a tour with them. And thank goodness I did, because the moment I stepped off the ship, I went, yeah, no, I do not want to be an officer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was great you got to get that experience. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It changed, it changed my trajectory for sure. Excellent. So, so fast forwarding a little bit, uh, one of the most interesting things when we first talked was discovering that you climbed out of 150000 in debt. Um, but I guess my question is, how'd you get there? You know, a lot of people have the loans, businesses, 
bad management. What was the situation as far as getting you into that debt? Well, you know, probably the biggest thing was just my upbringing where you know, working, I was taught work hard, stay loyal, make sure you find a company, whether you like the work or not, that will actually be secure and support you and pay you the most. I wasn't an entrepreneur. My family wasn't an entrepreneur, but out of necessity and from being laid off as businesses were shutting down, I started delivering pizzas for Domino's because of my work ethic. I ended up becoming a manager. And from there, my wife and I qualified to be franchisees. And with no money of our own, we were actually able to buy two Domino's pizza stores when we were qualified. And we became business owners thinking we had it made. But two kind of things got us into trouble right away. One, we knew how to run a pizza shop, but we didn't know how to run the business itself. And so we didn't think we needed things like accountants. We'll do it on our own, even though we were already working 80, 90 hours a day or a week, I should say, in the stores. Here we wow. were thinking we'd do also the accounting. and eh, Wrong answer. <laughs> and our whole philosophy was this. If we had money in the bank, we must be doing okay. But two years in when all of a sudden the government's going knocking on our door going, uh, hello, you have this thing called a business. There's something called financials that you're supposed to be submitting. We were forced to get an accountant and get caught up. And when we got caught up, we now at least knew the score. And we started doing okay. And then we started doing well. But growing up poor, we all of a sudden saw the bright, shiny things and wanted to keep up with the Joneses. And that's what got us in the most trouble because all of a sudden it was, what can we have that's instant gratification because, hey, we can afford it. And even though we couldn't and we started taking out loans and, and we thought, well, we'll figure it out. Our star will do better. We just started digging deeper and deeper and deeper, trying to keep up the appearance of, hey, we're successful business owners. This is what successful business owners do. Eight years into being franchisees, we're now over $150,000 in personal debt, going down quickly and stressed out beyond belief. Wow. And so, you know, I want to tie this back to, to something that you said in the book, and, and we'll definitely deep dive in the book. But you, you told a story that my father told me when I was young, and it was uh, in your story, it's the bear sitting on the nail. Uh, when my father told me the story, it was a, a dog at the corner store sitting on the nail. But yep. the same takeaway, right? When we when we had enough, we're going to change. Uh, yep. What was it about, you know, eight years and 150000 in debt? Because there might have been someone that said, you know what, 50000 in, something needs to change. Someone on the other hand, it had been like a half a million dollars. Okay, I need to change. What, what, what illuminated within you and your wife to say, you know what, it, it, it's time to, to, to change paths and, and get off the trail that we're on? Well, first of all, we didn't know what we didn't know. And boy, were we in denial of how bad it was. And I was doing the books and I knew and I didn't think my wife did. But of course, like any smart wife, she did. And even though I thought she didn't. And here we were and we just knew we wanted out of Domino's. One of our big things, we weren't enjoying it anymore. That was part of the problem. And so because we wanted out, we thought the, you know, what's the, um, what's the options? What can we do? We're still 31 at the time. We were franchisees at the age of 23, and we're sitting here, well, what do we do? We, what do we know? We don't know a lot uh, except for how to run a store. And our minds went, well, we know the franchise system. Why don't we look for another franchise? Now, kind of the silly thing about that is we never would have been able to afford another franchise, Jason, but that's where our minds went. So we went to a franchise expo desperate for something different. And when we were there, nothing resonated and nothing we could afford. But two weeks later, all of a sudden in the mail, you know, and, and I don't know if you're old enough to remember mail when it actually came in a mailbox. <laughs> yeah, not, not to age myself, but we got a letter in the mail 
from one of the booths and said, hey, thanks for stopping by our booth. As a thank you, here's two tickets worth $39 each to an amazing evening that can change your life. And I'll tell you, the only reason we showed up at that evening is because luckily we could not waste $39 tickets. And that evening did change our life. And from there, we that was in March of 2001, we went, wow, this is going to help us get out of financial debt. What, you know, what he, the trainer said made sense. What he showed us, what he, we experienced in just three hours with him. If he could do that in three hours, what could he do in three days? So we signed up for his three-day program. Now, and I'm going to be clear about this, we could not afford to, but we did. Okay. And that was for June of 2001. And the only reason we actually showed up at the weekend was to get our money back. Because we went through the buyer's remorse, realized it's not something we could uh, um, afford to do. But just the way their staff was and the way they treated us so well, and they knew what was going on in our heads, even though we didn't. We went in and we ended up staying for three days. It changed our life. Next thing you know, we're taking ownership for our debt instead of trying to blame other people. We understand why we're in debt. And then we learned skills of what we could do to get out of debt. Wow! And when we left that three-day training, we did something that unfortunately less than 6% of people in North America do. We actually did something with what we learned. Mm, Most people just go, yeah. Most people just go, oh, that was great. It changed my life, but they don't do anything and then wonder why it didn't change your life. And because we ended up taking action and and we took action, and I want to be clear, I don't want to make it sound like to people that we were, were super duper amazing people that we take action, we're successful at everything we do. No, the reason we took action is because we were so stressed out, we had to take action. We had to change something because the bill collectors and all that were just really breathing down our our throats. And from that training and taking the actions, we actually went from the $150,000 in personal debt to actually financial freedom nine months later at the age of 32. Wow. (laughs) And and that's amazing. And and so, Robert, there's a lot of pieces to that because you, you know, you felt the need to change. You had... Uh, an intention. You had some synchronicity in there. You had some some people supporting you that had more information. So a, a lot of pieces that you see on the success you know journey for most. But if there's someone that's listening and they're in debt, no matter what amount, what would you say would be a, a key action to take or a key mindset? What what should they do at this point if they're listening and say, you know what that that sounds like me? What would you say yeah. the very first baby step for them to do would be? Well, first acknowledge that they're not the only one. The mind's going to try and tell them no one else is going through this or their situation special or no one um, quite would understand what they're going through. So acknowledge that. But then the second thing is quit trying to solve the problem on your own. You know, as Einstein says, you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it. And so be willing to ask for help. And that takes courage. I got to tell you, Jason, it takes courage to have that vulnerability enough to say, you know what? I do need help. There's something I don't know. And then being willing to find people that do have the answers and find a way to learn how to change your situation. Yeah, that, that's powerful. And so f- just following the time frame or the timeline there. So you, you got out of debt uh, by 32, totally different life that you're living. Um, at this point, did you decide to just start building companies as a serial entrepreneur? Or did you have a theme that all the companies were related? Were you flipping companies? What did, what did your life kind of no. take you from there? Yeah, believe it or not, we decided, we said, if this much information in three days could change our life that much, what would more learning do? And we took the next two and a half years and dove in to be students, to learn from every master we could. 
And when I learn from someone, what I do is I don't go in going, I have to retain everything. I have to get every word they said. I got to use everything they say. That puts way too much pressure on a person to get overwhelmed. My wife and I go in looking for one or two golden nuggets that if we can take those golden nuggets out and apply those, then it's a worthwhile training. And at the same time that we're doing that, I am a procrastinator. And I know that. And I used to beat myself up over it. But I decided to say, well, if I know I'm a procrastinator, how can I work with this? And so we knew that there's a saying, environment is stronger than willpower. So being out of the environment of growth is when I'd go back in my old negative non-supportive habits. So it's like, how can we be in this energy more? Well, we're doing trainings, great. But that's, you know, every few months, what can we do? And so my wife and I, because we now had the time freedom, we weren't having to work, we're financially free. We started volunteering at every event we could. And for two over two years, we volunteered at, on average, 38 events a year. And being of service, giving back is we learned so much, but also now being in the energy, which is what allowed me to find my passion to train and allowed me to actually get put on stage for the first time. Wow. And that's amazing. So I got a, a, a question on that, but I want to just go down the path that you just mentioned in volunteering. How important was that um, or how important is that, do you think, is giving back and volunteering and helping others? Well, the giving back side, absolutely critical, because if you've been able to be helped by someone, why wouldn't you want to help others get through the struggles you're at? You know, be a mentor. In my book, I talk about find a mentor. But the second part of that is also who can you be a mentor to? So that was the main reason my wife and I did it. But we didn't realize the side benefit is as a volunteer, we were hearing things differently than we were a student. So all of a sudden we took our learnings to a deeper level that we weren't even anticipating. So that was a benefit. Also being in that energy around the growth-minded people all the time, anytime we set an intention, we now had people around us helping us make it happen because we were meeting so many great people as volunteers. So it just had so many beautiful benefits that we could never have even dreamed of. But we went in with the intention of we're going to be here to be of service. Because if you're going to volunteer, have no other agenda but to help others and be there present for them. Wow, that's awesome. And so just take it a step back because it's it sounded like you guys really took a deep dive into learning and embracing learning. And I know there are a lot of people that feel the same way, but after the same time frame that you had, they may know, um, they may be an expert on the Civil War or they may know everything <laughs> about dinosaurs. How did you choose your learning path and, and really, you know, what information was worthy of taking on? Uh, just what was healing my own wounds. Mm, okay. Uh, you know, and, and so like as an example, when I, when I train students now and I'm helping them with their finances, and I'm helping them get financial freedom and they start creating and having savings or having passive income and they want to know where to invest. They go, Robert, there's so many things to invest in. Where do I start? And my message to them is, what do you enjoy? And they kind of look at me and I say, so if you enjoy real estate, start learning about real estate and investing in that. If you enjoy stock trading, start learning about that. And the reason I say that, because Jason, you're an expert at this. You know, it's not always easy. People try and say, hey, you can do this trading and you're going to make all this money and it's 15 minutes a day, but you know it takes work. You know you don't always win. And I'm also very clear on that. I tell them, even with all the learning I've done, I still have losing investments. But because I've removed the emotion out of it and I follow systems, I know to when to get in to when to get out. And if I'm losing, I have things set in place to get out instantly so that I take a mitigated loss. 
And that's why my wins way outdo any of my losses. But I still have losses. And right. if you go into something going, well, I want to make the most money, the moment it gets tough, you're going to quit. So that's why I say do something that you enjoy so that when it is the tough times, you stick with it. Yeah. You know, that that's super important. And I, I feel like that about my day trading. If I didn't have the passion for it, it was one of the first things I loved since athletics. I know I would have quit a long time ago. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that information. Kind of building on that, um, doing what you enjoy, what else would you say are some foundational keys to financial freedom? Well, it's still, don't think that financial freedom means that you just now do nothing. Uh, right. Think about <laughs> the statistics when people, they they set their goals, I'm going to retire by the time I'm 65, 65, 65. And all of a sudden, say they do retire at 65 and they're like, now what? Those that don't have another passion or dream, they end up not living for very long. And so right. it's constantly saying, how can I be of value? And and having balance with that, let, let me be clear on this. And, and I'll give you an example from my life. In 2002, I was put on stage for the first time to help out for five minutes. This is why I say five minutes can change your life. Because from that, all of a sudden, I started doing warm-ups for my mentor. I started doing some data. I started co-training him. And then I started leading his trainings. And first time ever anybody had done that. And I found my passion. And next thing you know, when we broke that mold and showed it could be done, I went full force and started living my passion, doing 40 to 50 full-on live multi-day trainings a year all around North America and then into Asia in 2007. And what I didn't realize, though, is I was overliving my passion. And I got burnt out. In, In four and a half years, I did over 200 trainings. And my body paid the price. I ended up herniating a disc, didn't even realize that. And I was so burnt out that I had to take a year off which ended up turning into three and a half years. So one of the things I would tell people is you want to have that, that balance in your life and understand that balance doesn't mean everything's perfect. Like, oh, it's to me, balance is as things go out of balance, you adjust and adjust and adjust. So after three and a half years, when I came out of retirement to start living my passion again, the first thing I made a commitment to myself is I'm not going to put my body through that and two more back surgeries because I went through two back surgeries because I wasn't taking care of myself. So I want time off. I was, had only been spending on average two days a month at home when I was full on overliving my passion. So when I came out of retirement, I said, I'll do 20 trainings a year maximum. So no matter where in the world I'm training, I still take six months off for family, for me, for my time. And I, in the eight years before COVID, from when I came out of retirement, I was averaging 19 or 20 or 21 trainings around the world, still flying 200,000 miles a year on average, but having six months a year for me. And that made a big difference. So it's setting wow. those parameters and those boundaries for yourself. What is it you truly want? Because overliving passion, bad. Not living it at all, bad. What is the balance you can have in between? Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's the first time I've ever heard overliving your passion, but it definitely could have some negative effects, oh, um, it seems. Man. Yeah, it, it yes. took six months. I couldn't even look at a suitcase. I oh. just had no energy. <laughs> I had no energy. I just wanted to sleep. I didn't want to do anything. I put on weight mixed with my back when we finally diagnosed what it was that I had to get a surgery. And I ended up like gaining an extra 50 pounds because now I couldn't move. I was six weeks in bed without being able to do anything because I, it got so bad. And wow. and it just, it's like, is it worth paying that price? Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so, 
you know, I know a lot of people listening, I'll, and I'll play representative of them. They may say, you know what, it's great that he even has a passion. You know, I'd love to overwork myself. Um, and I'll tie this <laughs> in because one thing I remember you saying from the book is that the problem isn't that we set our goals too high uh, and miss them. It's that we set them too low and we hit them. So yes. can you just explain that a little more? Because I know if I was listening, I'm saying I'm not hitting any of my goals. My life sucks. Like, <laughs> how does that, uh, <laughs> that quote really uh, translate? Well, and, and that's one of my favorite quotes from my amazing friend, Les Brown. And, you know, when he agreed to do the forward to my book, and, and I'll tell awesome. you, this is a great example because that's his quote. And when I started as a trainer, he was one of the people I really looked up to and, and I wanted to be mentored by. And I had the opportunity, I was leading a trainer where they brought him in to be a guest trainer for a couple hour station um, or part of it. And uh, him and I had a chance to sit down and have lunch. And when we were having lunch, I shared with him some marketing tips and stuff like that. And he came up onto the stage and he said, I want to let everybody know. And we were teaching people how to be trainers and how to monetize it. And he said, you know, in, in the last 22 years, I've made, or in the last 20 years, I've made $22 million as a speaker. He said, with what Robert just shared with me in 45 minutes, I will make another $22 million in the next two years. And all of a sudden, not only was he a mentor to me, but I all of a sudden became friends with him and I, he became a mentee of mine. Had wow. I ever dreamed that? No. So when he says, it's not that we set our goals too high and we miss them. People are taught, be realistic. You know, you don't have the right education. You weren't born in the right family. And so it stifles our dreams and we start knocking ourselves down. But when you have the courage to dream big, and this is why I love vision boards, ask yourself if time, money, energy was unlimited, what would I really love to have in my life? And then set the intention. And I'll tell you, a lot of mine don't come true, Jason. But I'm still way further ahead than the people that don't set them at all. Because I set big, as, as Jack Canfield says, big, hairy, audacious goals. And the ones that don't work out tend to come out in different ways that were even better than what I had expected. But had wow. I not set the goals and I wanted to be realistic, I wouldn't be living the life I live now. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense is those big audacious goals. And so, you know, if you mentioned Les Brown, that's a great kind of segue into talking about the book. So international bestseller, Success Left a Clue. And I hinted to this earlier, listeners, but you can get a free copy, absolutely free, if you go to robertrealpel.com, R-O-B-E-R-T-R-I-O-P-E-L.com. You can get a free book there. Also, um, and I'll let uh, Robert talk about this a little bit later, but also um, there's some opportunities to get a free uh, coaching call there. So uh, we'll, we'll jump back to that if the verbiage is off there. But let's, let's talk about the book, Success Left a Clue. Um, how did yeah. you come up with the name and what's the biggest takeaway that you hope the, the readers get from the book? Well, and first of all, again, let's let everybody know I'm no different than anybody else. I have my ups, my downs. I started and decided to write the book in 2002 when someone on the stage, I was a student, they said, hey, you should write a book. You know, it'll help you position yourself as an authority. And I went, sounds like a good idea. And it only <laughs> took me 15 years oh, wow. to procrastinate, write it. <laughs> and so like it, like most people and like a lot of your listeners, I'm not, it's not like I'm super humor or special. I'm five foot six. I'm, you know, a little heavyweight, overweight, you know, average 53 year old. So, and I'm aerodynamic. So I, it's not like I'm a superhuman um, person. I'm just me, just like every listener is just them. But I had this dream and I had a title, original title that I wanted to do. And one day I was blessed to 
be assisting Mark Victor Hansen. Remember, like this is how critical volunteering was. Opportunity favors the prepared. Because my wife and I were showing up and always being of service, we were at an event and the person that was running it came up to me and said, look, I need you to do a very, very special job. And I said, what's that? We want you to be the liaison to our special guest speakers, the first one being Mark Victor Hansen. And I was just like, you could have picked me wow. up off the floor. And so I, you know, my job was to go get him from his um, hotel room, get him, sneak him through the back hallways of the convention center in the hotel and have him behind the stage ready to go. And I ended up, because of the timing, I ended up 45 minutes having a one-on-one conversation with this amazing gentleman. And from wow. that conversation, I changed the name of the book because he thought my original title, which was, if they can do it, I can do it, and so can you. He thought it was a good title, but maybe for a chapter, not for a, a book. And I could have easily gone to my ego and went, what do you know? But thank goodness I'd learned to take the coaching. And I'm like, he's, you know, the co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul books, probably the most successful book almost ever in history. Uh, right. He knows something. <laughs> <laughs> and so the book went through about three different name um, reiterations. But I, when I'm now training around the world, all of a sudden it hit me when I finally got serious about putting it out. I'm like, what is it I'm noticing? And I'm noticing I'm sharing the stage with all these amazing thought leaders. And a lot of them had things in common. And it was like, ah, that's it right there. They're leaving clues to success all over the place. And so I started noticing what are, the, what are they, do, you know, kind of how do they flow? And I put my own spin on it. And that's when success left a clue as the book, the six steps, you know, six life-changing habits to achieving your dreams while keeping it real, relevant, and repeatable. That just flowed into place. We decided to run with it. And here we are, five years after releasing the book. It's an international best-selling book. And I love every day when I hear from people how something in a book has impacted their life. That's awesome. And I definitely, so I've just started the, the reading, um, but I encourage all the listeners to go check that out, get your copy. And if you could, you know, definitely no spoilers, but can you highlight the six steps to creating the, the life of your dreams that are mentioned yeah. in the book? Yeah, and, and I'm going to give them this out uh, right out, right, Jason, is that I could have wrote a thousand-page book and given you all the quantum physics, all the science behind why this system works and the steps work, but I knew no one would read a thousand pages. They'd get bored of all the technical very quickly. So I <laughs> boiled it down, and I made a very simple six steps. So I'm going to caution, do not let the simplicity fool you. I'll say that okay. again. Don't let the simplicity, because the mind's going to go, it can't be this easy. And guess what? Yes, it is. With personally taught over half a million people around the world, I know why and what works and how it works and that it'll work for you. And so first one is what we've been talking about, dream. But don't just dream, dream big. You've got to really set those, be that child again, where everything was possible. And use your vision boards, just get your dreams down in front of you where you see them on a daily basis. Then the second step, Find a mentor or someone to model. And this is critical. A mentor is someone who's already achieved what you want. Remember, quit trying to do it on your own. Find someone who's successfully accomplished what you want. Unless you're an Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, chances are whatever you want to do, someone's done it before you. So find those people, find out how they did it, and model them. Of course, something I said earlier too, though, the other side of mentoring, being um, finding a mentor is asking yourself, who can I be a mentor to? Very critical that you start contributing and giving back as much as you can. It's not just about you. 
It's there's other people waiting for your assistance and for you to step up. So that's the second step. The third step is where things really start to change. Because you can have the greatest dreams in the world, Jason. You can have the greatest mentors in the world. But what catches up so many people is step number three is they don't take action. I love the saying that says one step in the right direction is worth a thousand years of thinking about it. And that is so true. And that's why in the book, a caveat, when they download the digital copy as our gift to them, the caveat is don't just get it and put it on the shelf and make it shelf help. I wrote it as um, as an operations manual because I know people don't take action. So I have action steps all the way through the book. And I promise them if they download it, read it, and do the action steps, their life will go to another level. So action is important. You've got to take that action. Now, step number four is interesting because people go, well, Robert, I've had some success, but it seems like it didn't last or I sabotaged. Why is that? That's step number four. This is what most people miss. And that is to celebrate your successes. You know, maybe as a child and you're an athlete, were you ever told don't boast, don't brag, don't um, show how good you are to, you got to be humble. Right. Yeah. You hear that all the time. Yeah. And I absolutely agree. But You've got to be able to honor yourself and your successes. And so if you're saying, hey, I accomplished this, you can do it in a way that you can celebrate it without it being ego and boasting. Because what happens is if you don't celebrate your successes, you don't own it, you don't lock it into the cells of your body. And it could be something as simple as a, uh, anchoring in with a fist, uh, you know, just pulling your fist and going, yes, patting yourself on the back, giving yourself a 10-clap round of applause. It doesn't have to be something other people are seeing. But you celebrate your successes. And here's a key to this. If people really want to take it to another level, see, Jason, I understand how the mind takes people out and how it works for people. I love to mess with the mind. So I have a little tip. See, success is a success is a success. It's only our mind that says that one's small, that one's medium, that one's large. And because your mind doesn't want you to change, if it fears you're about to change, It's going to take one of your successes and try to make it minuscule and try to tell you why it's not a big success, why it's nothing. You don't need to celebrate it. The moment you notice it trying to make um, one of your successes small, go like this. Go, aha, caught you. Nice try. And then celebrate it even bigger. Because that's your mind trying to say, something's about to change. I've got to stop them. And you can either let it stop you or you can celebrate it in a bigger way to show your mind that you are going to celebrate those successes. I hope that makes yeah. sense. You know, that definitely does. And I know there's nothing like that feeling of catching those limiting thoughts when they creep up <laughs> and having the awareness to say, oh, I got you. Yeah, and, it, and it's just like the, those thoughts are always coming in to try to second-guess yourself when you're doing trading, as an example. And that's right. why having the systems in place is so important so that you take the emotion out of it that, ah, the indicators are telling me this. The gut feeling's trying to tell me to do this, but last time I listened to it, I lost. So you know what? I'm going to follow the indicators. That discipline's very, very important because then if you do have a loss, you know you take a short loss, not a big one. And right. so your mind is going to try and sabotage you so it can go, aha, see, I told you it didn't work. Why do you think you could do this day trading stuff? It's, you're not special enough to do that. And I don't know if you've ever heard that out of your mind, Jason. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've had that fight with my brain <laughs> many of times. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's step number four. Step number five is believe in yourself. Look, 
I've been blessed to travel around the world to multiple dozens of countries and multiple um, different cultures, the way people are brought up. And I would say the number one thing that I notice worldwide that we have in common, low self-esteem. I see it everywhere I go. And it's something I battle with on a daily basis myself. And so the goal of believing in yourself little bit by little bit and building up that belief. And let me give you a clear distinction. Believing in yourself with confidence, not arrogance. You don't have to sit there and, hey, look how amazing I am, world. I've arrived. Bow down to me. It's just (laughs) knowing that, you know what? Every day I'm taking one more step. And I am awesome. And I do deserve the best life has to offer. And as you increase that belief in yourself, step number six comes in which is actually the easiest step of them all. And this is the one where I'm going to remind people, don't let the simplicity of this fool you. See, step number six, repeat the first five steps. (laughs) Because what happens is this, Jason. When you start to dream, you're going to find mentors and people to model. You're going to take some actions. You're going to celebrate those successes, which will elevate your belief in yourself, which will then allow you to set bigger dreams, get greater mentors, take greater actions, have greater celebrations, which then elevates your belief in yourself again. And it becomes a beautiful perpetual cycle. Wow. I love that. And so let me just reiterate what I think I'm hearing. So dream big, uh, become a mentor, also seek mentors, take action steps, celebrate your successes. And then before we start to repeat this, we want to believe in ourselves. Just, yeah, start elevating your belief in yourself. Yeah, so let's let's go just a little bit further on number five, and then we'll jump to the the four currencies. Um, mm-hmm. I have a process where uh, I I just want to know if it's humanly possible, and be like, all right, another humans did it, maybe I can do it, and then I I go there to creating a plan, and that kind of helps me start with the foundational belief of just oh this is impossible. Uh, what are what are your tips for someone building belief when they're about to take on a new venture or about to make a life change? That's where coaches and mentors are critical. Mm, One of my original titles in the book was going to be three, two, one rich. And it was like the countdown. What's the magic formula? And that simply stands for have three coaches in your life. They could be health coach, fitness coach, um, success coach, business coach, but have three coaches in your life, have two mentors in your life and have at least be part of at least one mastermind. Because again, you can be great yourself. But when you also combine your greatness with other people's greatness to get to a higher level, masterminding is the ultimate way to go. That's why, you know, Think and Grow Rich has been such an iconic book for for a century almost coming up is because that's the power of the mastermind. So if you use that, have the coaches in your life and the mentors, this is where when you do stumble, notice I didn't say if, when you do stumble and you start beating up on yourself, those coaches and those mentors and the mastermind members are going to be there to say, hey, what's going on? Why are you doubting yourself? And sometimes they'll have to kick you in the butt to get you back up on your game. But they're there to assist you in moving forward. Yeah, no, that that, that makes sense. And that's a, a huge thing. I know I promote mastermind groups and even have one here for, for traders. Um, because when you're on the road, um, and you've implemented these these five steps and you're repeating them. Um, there's a tendency sometimes to look up. So I know that you're big on writing things down, writing your goals down. But as far as implementing this, what other advice would you have for someone that says, you know what? I got the five steps. It's been 
uh, I'm looking 72 hours and nothing's happened. <laughs> what do you, what do you say? Do they implement these, set it and forget it, just live your life? Or how do you go about yeah, you making a lifestyle? I guess, what can you say further on? I'm really yeah, making what, this. Yeah. And first of all, don't overcomplicate it because here's what your mind's going to do. Well, I just learned this. I better be professional at it. I better be perfect at it. Right. And because that's how another way it stops us. But I love the saying, one of my favorite quotes from one of my mentors, every master was once a disaster. Meaning, give yourself permission to go through the disaster stage. If you're learning trading for the first time, understand you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to be perfect. Stick with it. That's the key. Stick with it and persistence and watch what will happen. You know, what does it say? A master takes 10,000 times of doing something or 10,000 hours. Even as a trainer, as an example, because I've now been blessed to train thousands of trainers around the world. And people go, oh, my goodness, I wish I could do what you do. And then I tell them the stories of when I started training, I had people laugh at me when I was on stage and go, you want to be a trainer? Good luck. Because oh, wow. That's fun. I, wasn't, I wasn't where I'm at now. It's taken me years to become a master at it. You and your day trading, you now do things subconsciously, unconsciously because you've practiced it. So put in the commitment to just keep with it step by step by step. And know that we're looking at the long term. Don't think of the instant, well, I've got to make it now. I've got to be great now. Again, this is where mentors and coaches will help keep you on track. Quit trying to do it yourself. I'm going to keep hammering that point, Jason, because that's one of the things that I see that holds so many people back from truly living the great life that they can. That that's uh it's really awesome and it kind of brings up something else that you you said there as far as implementing this because that makes sense you want to kind of bury your head stay on it get mentors and and you mentioned something about individuals laughing at you early in your speaking career mm-hmm. um, when you have this vision and in, in your mind I'm sure you were like you know maybe maybe not I'm great right now but I can be great right I know I can do this and then you have the contrary in the world where the 3D current reality is saying, no, you, you suck at this. So it's, yeah. it's difficult dealing with it within your mind, but also when you're getting this pushback from close ones around you, people you randomly run into, what would you say are some of the, the tools that you used to yeah. kind of hold on to your belief when you were having uh, things that were saying it's not a reality yet? Yeah. You know, there's, there's a book and I'm looking at it right now. It's up on my shelf. I have bookshelves behind me, but on my desk, I also have a couple of the ones that really are powerful for me. And this is the one that's probably had one of the biggest impacts. The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Yes. And agreement, the one agreement, don't take things personally. When I learned that and I started realizing that no matter what anybody says to me, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with them. And in the duality of this one, though, and here's, so when people were saying, Ah, you can't be a trainer. They were just basically projecting on me their disbelief of why they couldn't do this, that they didn't have the courage to step up like I did. And so I could also just focus on that and go, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to take in any of this negativity, and I'm just going to focus on the great things people are saying to me that are congratulating me. But then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's the other side of it. Because all the great things they're saying to me, again, have nothing to do with me. Is a projection of what they're seeing in themselves that maybe I'm bringing out. And this is a trap that people fall in. Is It's like, well, yeah, all the haters, I ain't going to listen to them. But all the people that really support me, I'm going to listen to you. But if you do that, then you're setting yourself up that you're taking in the energy. They're, oh, you're great, you're great, you're great. And also in the moment, one of those people that were feeding you great things 
all of a sudden get upset and they turn it around, it'll wound you even deeper. So when it comes to taking, not taking things personally, it's not taking things personally on all aspects. And and picture this, I'm on stage in front of a thousand plus people. I have my table lined up, people coming up. Oh my goodness, it's changed my life. You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. What do you think that would do to the ego if I allowed that to all come in? And I started to believe the hype. That's why you see these great big stars that can't handle the fame and they go into addictions is because they start believing that hype. And also in the moment something goes wrong in their life, they can't handle the other side of it. The tabloids, they can't handle it because all of a sudden, you know, they believe everything that's being said about them. So that's a caution I give to people is, is know who you are, own who you are authentically. And whether someone's saying nasty things about you or great things about you, understand it's a projection of them. You don't have to take it on board. Just keeping you. Yeah, no, that that's definitely great advice because it's it's easy to tune into the people that are saying good things and, and boosting up the ego, yep. um, and, and ignore the others. But it seems like there's a healthy balance of ignoring all of it, kind of staying on course there. Yeah, and, and that's it. And and you know, I learned this not because I'm smart. I learned this by just observing and watching, and noticing what I was going through, listening to my mentors, listening to my coaches, because I still have mentors and coaches in my life. Even though I'm, I may be at the level I'm at, the moment I quit, th- the moment I think I know everything, I'm done. So yeah. I know there, I'll never know everything. I, I still have passions that keep me, and that's what gets me up day after day. You know, I mentioned before you hit the recording, at the time that we're talking right now, it's 4.30 my time at the moment, and I've been doing trainings and interviews and coaching calls since 7.30 a.m. this morning. I don't need to. But I love it. And I, so I, I choose I have to because it's my passion. It's my gift. Because I've gone to that other side of not living in the passion at all that we talked about in the three and a half years. The person I started turning back into, I did not like at all. So I love following my passion. And that's what gets me jazzed and juiced and up every day. That's awesome. And it sounds like you're in that, that flow of passion, which kind of brings me to the currencies uh, of life, the four currencies. And I know when, uh, you know, Listeners like my audience hear currencies. They're like, all right, I got fiat. I have, you know, <laughs> dollars change. I have Bitcoin. But I think this yep. is a little more powerful than that. What are the four currencies of life? It is a little different for sure. And the first one is one that most people think of, which is money, all forms of money. And what I've noticed in my research is that you can either have too much money in your life sometimes, which is called affluenza, or you can have too little money, which is called poverty. And everybody has a zone. Everybody's zone is different than anyone else's and your zone will change as you grow or get hit with setbacks. So when, as an example, in my Domino's pizza days, my poverty level, anytime my wife and I got around $40,000 a year or less in um, earnings, we really felt the pressure. How are we going to pay our bills? The stress? Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? So that was our poverty level. Our affluenza level was about $100,000 a year at that time. And anytime we'd get around 100000 in earnings or greater, we started doing silly things with our money. And one, probably one of the silliest things is we started doing investments without doing our own due diligence. Oh, that sounds like a great investment. They said that stock's going to go up. Here, we'll throw some money at it. And then act shocked when we lost. <laughs> like, how did that happen? And so when you have your currencies of life and the money one, you find your zone. You know what it is. You know when you start doing stupid things with your money. And you know when you feel the pressure. And notice where your zones are, because as you stay in that zone, 
then life will flow even better for you. But if you want to increase the zone, that's where you work on yourself. I love the universal principle that says your wealth will only grow to the extent that you do. And so today, as an example, my poverty level is around 200000 a year. I like my lifestyle the way it is. So anytime I'm making only about 200000 I get stressed out. My affluenza gotcha. level is just over a million. If I make over a million a year, I notice that, aha, Robert, what are you doing? And in one of my new business ventures, we're now talking, you know, it's, it's going to be turning into not just a seven-figure or eight-figure or nine-figure business. It's going to end up being a 10-figure business. So I know, and I'm already now growing me because we're talking generational wealth that we're creating with this. And so I know if I don't grow me to grow this, let my currency, uh, money currency, if I don't grow that zone, that's not going to last past my generation because I'll end up sabotaging and blowing it all when the payoff comes. So I now am growing myself. So that's the currency of money. Any questions gotcha. on that one? Yeah, before we go on, I, I definitely do. So uh, I think the, is it affluenza, the, the top level yep. kind of glass ceiling there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, affluenza. so I think, I think, I don't think, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that from my experience in uh, trading personally and individuals I spoke to, hitting the ceiling is pretty common in trading where you get to a certain amount of money and you start making mistakes in the market, maybe even before you even, you know, get it in your hand to, to start making it. And I noticed this within myself. I got to a certain uh, amount monthly. And even if I got to it in the whole month or three weeks, something started to happen. And I didn't notice till I looked back at the stats and say, you know what, this is all right around that same dollar amount. Um, yep. What do you do at that point? Um, you said it's about growing yourself, but are there any tips you have to say, you know what, this is what I need to do if I'm going to make $2 million for you next year uh, yeah. and really raise your, your money level? I, I would ask myself, who do I need to contact that's doing the level I want to get to so I can find out what their mindset's like, how they handle it, how they deal it. This is, again, where mentors and coaches come in so right. critically. Because what's happening, Jason, is people get comfortable. Oh, I know enough. I've got this figured. I've got it down. And so they keep hitting, hitting the ceiling. You'll never, and I've hit this in the training arena. I, I would get, oh, I know enough. I don't need to learn anymore. And then I get smack upside the head with a bad, you know, I'd be doing an event and all of a sudden the sales wouldn't go well. And, and you're talking to someone, I've done over $100 million in sales from the stage over the 18 years I've traveled around the world before COVID. And so I've done, you know, very, my biggest weekend, six and a half million dollars in sales in one weekend. So I've done some pretty powerful events, wow. but yeah. that's because I, I own that I don't know everything. So as I start feeling I'm hitting a ceiling, I ask, I, I introspect, first of all, okay, what is it that's holding me back? And then who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to hire? Who do I need to learn from to get me to the next level? Gotcha. And so before we move on, I, I just want to kind of overview this. So these four currencies of life, are these the foundational currencies for, for happiness, success? What would you, I guess, how would you sum up this list that we're going through? Yeah, you know, I'd say they are a great base for how to have the life you really want to have in your life. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Gotcha. Okay. So number one's money. What's, what's the second currency? The second currency is the one that we all have the exact same amount of, and that's the currency of time. And what happens with this one, because here's the number one thing I hear from, and you probably do when you're training people to be traders and the work that's got to be put in. And probably, you probably hear, Jason, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do that extra work. Or I've got a family. I've got kids. I've got my business. How am I going to find the time to do this? 
And when it comes to, okay, I kind of, how did I know you've heard that? (laughs) And, And what I've realized in the research is that most people are very, very, very good at being busy, but they're not necessarily productive. And there is a world of differences between the two. And I'll give you an example of that. So let's say because I'm writing my new book that, and this is the four currencies is part of my new book. And I say, I'm going to go to my office. I'm going to write my book. And I get into my office and I just get busy. And eight hours later, I'm like, I come up for air and I'm like, woo. And all of a sudden I'm looking, oh, it doesn't seem like I got a lot done on the book, but I've been busy for eight hours. What the heck did I do? And if I look back at the time, it's like, oh, I spent a lot of time on social media. I was text messaging. I was responding to emails. Oh, and I wrote a little bit of the book. See, I got distracted. So one of the most important things you can do with your calendar, I live by the calendar on my phone, is I actually put in what's called focused time. And depending on the research you go by, some people say you can only stay focused on something for half an hour. Some say an hour. Some say even less time than that. I know me. And for me, the most time I can spend focused on something where nothing distracts me is about an hour maximum. So on my calendar, I might put, okay, from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, write book. And when I come in, there's no other distraction. And in that one hour, I get so productive. And just as from tracking myself, here's what I found. It's going to be different for people when they do it themselves. But for every hour I am productive, it is actually the equivalent of about six hours of being busy. And if your audience just got what I just said, I just freed up a ton of time for them. Yeah. So, so I so now give that to us again. Yeah. For me, every hour that I'm productive on something is equivalent about six hours of just being busy, getting the distractions floating from here to there. So now right. on my calendar, and I'm not saying fill your calendar up with all productivity time. What I'm saying is like one of my students out of South Africa, amazing woman. I introduced this concept to her. She now has three 30 minute focus times a day, Monday to Friday. So 15, 30 minute focus times. Her productivity has gone through the roof. Her kids now have more time, quality time to spend with her because she's getting so much more done that she's not as stressed and she's present with her kids instead of, oh, mommy's here, but her mind's really somewhere else. And her, your kids can tell. Her husband is blown away by how productive she's become and how they have quality time together. And all that it added up, one and a half hours a day, basically. So it's three hours in two days, four and a half, six, seven and a half hours in a week. That productivity has freed her up dozens of hours of just being busy. Wow, that's awesome. So that, Got to master that time uh, currency yeah. for sure. And start small. Please don't sit there and go, okay, I heard Robert and Jason talking about productivity time. All right, so I'm going to do six hours a day of productivity. You're going to sabotage. Start with 30 minutes once a day. Watch what happens. And I'm assuming that kind of logging this, journaling is the best way to kind of find your limits. And, and uh, I guess, yeah. are there also times of the day where you work better as well? Yeah, certain tasks? Sure. And you're going to find your flow, absolutely. But to, again, I don't want to overwhelm people. Here's what you do set it on your calendar that I'm going to do this task starting at this time, and then start your stopwatch. As soon as 30 minutes, like on your phone, set the timer for 30 minutes because here's the rule. The moment that um, alarm goes off, stop. 
The mind's going to say, oh, I'm just finally getting into the flow. I'll just do a little bit more. No, stop. Because you're now going to train your mind that when I start this timer, I better get focused. But if you allow yourself to keep going, then you're just going to get back into the productivity or the, sorry, the busyness thing of, oh, well, I'll just check this first before I get going. No, the moment you start, when the 30 minutes is done, you stop. And watch what that does to bring you into what we call flow state. And that's where the real magic happens is when you get into that flow state. I love that. Yeah, flow state is is something that uh, a lot of expert traders talk about. And I uh, I had a mentor, Benjamin, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, and he really was huge on the flow state. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it seems like these are kind of leading to getting that. So there's money, there's time. And then what's the third currency? Yeah, and the third currency. And then, you know, because I do investments on my own too, probably one of my greatest mentors is Phil Town. You know, r- r- rule one, trading. And I've been blessed to spend time at his um, gorgeous farm in Georgia, and this man, you know, when he taught me trading, and I, I, I don't do my own trading anymore, but I know enough to know if my traders know what they're doing. And so, you know, that's, that's critical to have those people. You don't have to do it all yourself, but know right. enough to know if the people doing it are doing it properly. That's important. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> that's and, and important. that frees up time for me, right? Because I learned that. Now, the third currency is something we've kind of already talked about a little bit, is the currency of fame. And in the currency of fame, this is where you've seen, again, those, let's take actors, singers, people that are ultra famous. You, they can all of a sudden get this fame that comes their way. And all of a sudden, they seem to crash and burn addictions, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is. But yet, you can get someone else with the exact same shove into the spotlight fame, and they seem to be able to handle it. They seem to have more balance in life. And so what's the difference is what I really wanted to know. Because let's say and talk to your traders, they start pushing those glass ceilings and they start doing better and better and better. All of a sudden, they're going to start having a great lifestyle that if you want to keep it, getting it's one thing. Keeping it is a whole different world. Would you agree with that, Jason? Yeah, definitely. They always say, you know, what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. And, and it's easy to get caught up into the, well, look how good I am. Everything's going right now. I'm going to start doing some bigger trades. And next thing you know, you're wiped out and going, what happened? And so it's right. who are you as the person when it comes to fame, the currency of fame? And I'm going to use the example of an interview I heard years ago with Jennifer Lopez. I loved it because the person said, Jennifer, in business, acting, singing, you are just a powerhouse. You're smart. You're amazing. You're successful. And in your family life, you seem to be a down-to-earth, you know, centered person. How do you handle the two? How do you separate that? And she said, well, I'm just me. She goes, now, being me authentically, when I'm in business and I'm dancing and singing or doing movies, she says, I'm J-Lo. That's my persona. But when I'm home, I'm just Jennifer. I'm just me. Same person, but I know to, um, the difference between the fame and the not fame. And this is how this impacted my life. When I travel around the world doing trainings, I have assistants that take care of everything. They pick me up at the airport. And, you know, I get driven to my hotels. I get my meals delivered. They're they wait on me hand and foot. And when I'm training, I'm Robert Raymond Riopel. That's my brand. That's who I am. But when I'm home, I'm just Robert. I'm just Rob. And my wife and I have a, a, a kind of a funny joke that we do, that when I come home from traveling around the world, she'll look at me and at some point she'll go, honey, you're home. No more assistance. Go take out the garbage. And I'm like, <laughs> I love it. Because 
you know, picture this, you know, I just had a, we, on our acreage, we just had family come and camp out. We had our RVs all set up and we were sitting around the fire. Can you imagine me believing I'm all that and sitting there, look at my in-laws and go, hey, uh, don't you know who I am? I'm Robert Raymond, Riopel. Go get me a bear. <laughs> they would clue me in really quick. I'm not all that. And so that humbleness, when your traders, the people you work with are starting to get that success, it's going to be easy to go in their ego. Stay centered, right. have those people around you to keep you grounded because that currency of fame, it, having it and keeping it, two different things. Having it and then enjoying it without being arrogant and egotistical is a whole nother level. So right. that's the currency. Fame. I like that. That's great, great information there. Yeah. And then number four, are you ready for number four? Yep, let's do it. Number four is the one I've, I really put the focus on the most right now. And that is the currency of experience. Experience. And here's what I mean by that. When you get to the end of your days, the worst thing that could happen for me is to look back and go, man, I was busy and uh, what did I really accomplish? I guess I'm not taking all this money with me and I feel like crap and I didn't really do much with my life experiential-wise. I want to look back and go, wow, I enjoyed life. And this means looking for the experience in everything, Jason, not just the good times. But even though when you're going through tough times, what is the experience of it? And asking yourself, what experiences can I create in my day-to-day life that will allow me to really enjoy it? And you, you mentioned that you bring people to your um, place for masterminding for traders. And so years ago, actually January, just before um, the world shut down in 2020, I love doing masterminds as well, and, but I want to make them experiential. So what I did is I actually flew to Florida from Canada here, and I actually live in Alberta, not British Columbia. Um, oh, okay, apologies <laughs> <just there>. <laughs> No, no worries. I was born in BC, but that's, uh, I love BC, lived there lots. And so I flew from Alberta to Florida. I had eight of my students meet me in Florida for a one-day mastermind. But to make it an experience, the reason we went to Florida is because when we got there, we hopped on a private jet, we flew to the Bahamas, we got a full police escort in two beautiful white Rolls-Royce cars all the way through the city to a Sandals resort where we spent all day, had breakfast, lunch, dinner, all on the beach, and we masterminded all day long. And tell me something, if you were in that kind of a scenario, that kind of an experience, do you think it would heighten what you're doing with the mastermind? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, it, the environment, like you mentioned earlier, is a huge part of it. It is. And in that day, we created eight seven-figure businesses. Because instead of just coming in going, well, I better get something out of this, we became so connected. My eight students, when we masterminded for each one, every other person was, how can, much can I help you? What can I do for you? Who do I know that will help you? And when it was their turn to be masterminded on, everybody else was totally open as well. And so we gave unreservedly and we're all still great friends today, two and a half years later from that experience. So what are you doing to create experiences in your life? When you're going out with your family, are you just going out like, oh, we're going for dinner? Or are you making it an experience? Hey, you guys, let's get, let's just go to McDonald's today and, and let's go play in the playhouse part. Let's have fun <laughs> doing it instead right. of just going through drive through What can you do to make life an experience that you really enjoy? That's awesome. 
So the four currencies, money, time, fame, experience. Yeah, that's it. And I really like that last one. I know you said that you're focusing a lot on that now, but it it just, it kind of perks you up to say, you know what, how can I make the most out of what's currently going on and make this uh, more of an elevated experience? So that, I think that's well, a that's great it. tip. And I'm going to give you an overlooked. example. I, I'm going to give you, because you like to bring people to your place to mastermind, I'm guessing? Is um, that where you t- so uh, a little bit of online, but not not my house. We do meet locally in the town. Okay. So we, my wife and I decided to, because we, we, one of the reasons we bought our beautiful acreage a few years ago was so I could bring my students to me. And we've now built a 2,400 square foot training center onto our house. So my students, instead of me traveling around the world as much, they can come to me. And so we decided to test the masterminding we wanted to do here. And we brought, we invited five couples, five friends, couples that are friends that we know to come here. So 10 people to mastermind with us and just put on a masterminding session. And then, but to do it as an experience, because this is what you could do if you're, even if you're meeting somewhere local in your town to take it to another level is a charity. My wife had been able to buy um, a private suite for an amazing uh, Celtic dance mixed with illusion show in our city that was coming up. Wow. And it could hold 12 people, hence why we invited 10, plus my wife, plus me. (laughs) And they didn't know coming to the mastermind. We just said, bring some nice clothes. We're going to do a two-day mastermind, get ready to have some fun. And so when they arrived the first morning, only thing we did in the morning was get to meet each other because they didn't know each other. So who are you? What do you do? And we just went around the table and spent a couple hours doing that. Then we sent them all back to their hotels. We said, look, go back to your hotels, get dressed up, get ready for an amazing evening, be back here at the property by four o'clock. So when they all showed up at four o'clock, we did some photos and they're like, what's going on? 4.30, we had this gorgeous stretch limo SUV pull into our driveway. We did more photos. We put the drone up, We, you know, because you got to make sure you're, you're marketing as well. And it drove us to this great show. And when we got there, there was drinks in the suite. There was food in the suite. The whole The show was amazing, but we spent more time just connecting and talking to each other. We didn't really watch the show. It was the experience. And then right. the limo took us back. Everybody went back to the hotels and we said, meet back here at nine o'clock tomorrow morning, get ready to mastermind. Well, by the time they showed back, that day of masterminding went so deep again because everybody now had experienced each other on a personal level, getting to know each other instead of just saying, hey, I don't know you and you want my help. Why should I help you in the back of the mind? And that mastermind right. went to another level. Wow. You know, that that's great information. And then thinking back to kind of the foundation that Napoleon Hill set for setting that up and getting that that third mind there. It sounds like those are powerful steps with the bonding and getting everyone to open up. Uh, that That's amazing. Yeah. And you can have fun with it. Get creative. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's giving me some ideas to take my masterminds to the next level. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'll that's tell you, stuff. the jet one, because there was a cost for the jet, but I actually made money for taking people on a private jet. And I've always oh, wanted wow. to go on a private jet. So instead right. of, I could have gone and hired one or I could have made money going on one. Yeah, all at the same time. Win, win, win. You got it. That's good stuff. That's awesome. Well, this has been powerful. So we got the the um, the six steps to creating the, the life of your dreams. We've talked about the four currencies. And so I have three more questions for you before we, we kind of close this out because I think this has uh, been extremely powerful information. So, this, this next question, I usually ask everyone who is on the show um, from a trading perspective, but I'm going to gear it just towards your experience and your fame. Um, mm-hmm. How much would you say from where you are today from 
the 150K or even uh, before that, how much of that voyage to the success level you're at right now has been your psychology? Mm, 90 plus percent. 90 plus, wow. Yeah, because I can walk, march or I can track every turn, upturn, downturn to how much I was believing in myself or not, how much I you know, thought I knew everything versus being willing to be open to learning more. And because it comes back to that self-belief, that self-doubt or belief in self. And, you know, instead of being um, self-centered, one of the things one of my friend, a business partner says, he says, instead of being self-centered, be centered in yourself. And that's all the psychology. So that's why I say 90 plus percent. Yeah, got it. Awesome. And so another thing, there was kind of an underlying theme. Um, and, and not that it was underlying and, and what actually happened, but just I was noticing it pop up and it was your your, your spouse. You talked a lot mm-hmm. about your wife. And so I just want you to, to briefly just talk about partnership in your your personal success. Was it, you know what, we're in this together. We're going to have this franchise. We, we're going to do this for our family. Mm-hmm. Or was it, oh, Robert's in the backup to his devices again? How, how did your, your partnership work in building uh, the lifestyle that you have today? Uh, let me be clear. I would not be talking to you today if it wasn't for my amazing wife. Wow, that's um, awesome. Very, very blessed. We met at 13. We started dating when we were 16. Uh, we got married when we were 19. And wow. this Friday is our 33rd wedding anniversary. That's awesome, Robert. Congratulations. And, yeah, thank you. And the reason I say I would not be here if it wasn't for her is because going back to my upbringing, I was taught just find that job that's secure, that pays you the most whether you make whether you like it and enjoy it or not. And so if it was up to me, I'd still be stuck in a job, comfortable but miserable as hell. And my wife, one of the main gifts she gives me, she's not willing to let me play smaller than I am. And even if that means kicking me in the butt, and I'm always open to that, of course, always. But, you know. <laughs> right, we all are, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And I've realized, and you know, all jokes aside, I say the two most important words in a relationship, people say, how is it you've been married 33 years? And I say the two most important words are yes, dear. (laughs) Because, um, you know, but here's the thing. Here's the reality of it. The other way I've been blessed is my wife and I, when we first started dating and and, um, got engaged and got married, we worked in separate jobs. But the moment I ended up getting laid off and I started delivering pizzas and I got a management job, she became my assistant manager. And from that point, we've worked together all the way through. She's the one that when we went to the three-day training, she wanted to buy the other courses and get us learning even more because she knew it was going to change our lives. And I'm like, hell no, we can't afford it. Had every reason. Um, She convinced me that, no, we need to do it. And I'll tell you, um, here's the thing, Jason. If there's something my wife truly wants, I will move heaven and earth to make it a reality. And so that day that was our critical change, we needed about $13,000 to buy this complete package of programs. And I went and I maxed out every single one of our credit cards, five of them that I had on speed dial because we were living off our credit cards at that time. I didn't think she knew we were $150,000 in debt. She wanted it so bad. I said, I had to come clean. I went to her. I said, honey, here's the deal. You know, we're in debt, but I need to tell you how far we are. And I told her how far we were in debt. And then I, I, I braced myself for her collie to come out and for her to just you know, get into a tirade, which she so, you know, deserved to do. She looked at me calmly. And the first thing she said is, thank you for letting me know. Second thing she said was, I already knew. Of course she did. (laughs) That wasn't the answer you were expecting. (laughs) Exactly. And then the third thing she said is, 
do you want to do the trainings? And I thought she went off a rocker. I said, didn't I just explain why we can't? And she said, what did we just learn? Instead of saying, I can't afford it, which is negative, which holds you back, ask yourself, how can I? And the moment she phrased it that way, I went, you know what? I'm going to check out on the credit cards. I speed dialed them. I found out if I max them, what would we have? And I believe, I'm a huge believer that the universe works the way it's meant to. Everything happens for a reason. If I was to max out, and, I, and let me, before I say this, let me be clear. This is not something I recommend people do. This is the moment we made a decision to do this. Because when I looked at it, if I maxed out every credit card, we had just enough to buy these programs, which meant, and this was a tough decision, we were going to have to be at the store more. We were going to have to eat more pizzas because we didn't, wouldn't have the money to have food at the house and the food at the store. And we were willing to make this commitment. The moment we did and we made that commitment, that's when our world started changing. Nine months later, we're financially free. And wow. it's all because of the tenacity and the foresight of my wife so that she plays that's a awesome. role in where we are. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I definitely noticed that and I appreciate you, you kind of letting us into that. And again, congratulations on the 33rd anniversary coming this, uh, uh, this week. That's amazing. You. Awesome. So one more question, but before we do that, um, first off, Facebook, we can find you. Um, it yeah. is Robert Rio Pell. And that is R-I-O-P-E-L. And at Facebook, you're going to put a the before it. Um, yes. So that would be the Robert. And then uh, on LinkedIn, just first and last name, we can find you on LinkedIn. And then on Instagram, seems like we're rolling the R there. <laughs> all three R's of my name, baby. <laughs> yeah, so all three R's for the Robert Raymond. So three R's, um, I-O-P-E-L. So three R's before the last name there. So that's Instagram, that's LinkedIn, that's Facebook. Uh, and again, you can get a free copy of the book uh, at the robertreopale.com. Um, free yeah. copy there. Um, anything you want to tell us about, um, let me ask this way. If someone goes there like I did, get the free book, uh, what would be on their mind to make them take the next step for that coaching call? What are, what are oh. I guess, the challenges they should have or what makes them an ideal a candidate to to get the most out of that call that they actually do it uh, and and okay. I, and I'm totally serious on this because you know here's something I've, I've been putting out to people and we're changing it up a little bit I'm in my give back phase of my life right now and because I'm not flying 200,000 miles a year around the world I have the benefit of having more time at home and so what I'm doing because people helping me is help me get where I am today so anybody that goes and downloads the book they're going to have the opportunity to book in for a 20 minute personalized success roadmap session with me and i just used to call it a, a you know a mentoring session or a strategy session but a lot of people are like what does that mean i want to be able to people are going to fill out a questionnaire and do a little assessment which they do that before the call so in the 20 minutes i get to laser focus with them on what it is that's holding them back what obstacles are there what detours are in their way and help them and give them actually steps and directions and distances to go to be able to put that personalized success roadmap in place and be totally clear. I don't sell anything when I do this. This is me giving back and um, being there to be of service. But also to be clear, our time, as you know, one of the currencies, time, is very, very important. If a person doesn't fill out the questionnaire or just puts one word answers on it, I will cancel the call. Because that's not going to be of service to anybody. Got it. Awesome. Thank you for, for giving detailed information on that. So that def, that sounds amazing. Um, listeners, 
you should check that out. I definitely will myself. And and Robert, I guess we'll be talking again within that 20 minute time frame. <laughs> um, so last question here. So you've been on a lot of stages. And so I, I, I believe I'll kind of preface this, that when more than one, uh, when we can gather in masses and we can all put our mindset on an idea or a concept, I believe it, it's more likely that we're going to move in that direction. And and so I mm. asked this question uh, to end off the shows and to help everyone who is within, you know, um, uh, an earshot of, of what I'm saying, all my listeners to add value to the to the guests and what they're trying to accomplish. So you've been on many stages, Robert. If you were on the world stage um, and everyone who resonates with your message, they could hear you. And at the snap of the finger, they have a new understanding of, of what you're trying to convey. What, what would that message be? Wow. You know, here's what I'd say to that is I believe that the greatest gift that anybody can give this planet is to be themselves and show up authentically, whatever that looks like. And one of the things that happens, and the reason I believe this is a gift is because, and this message is coming from a world-class people pleaser. I used to be like an Olympic gold medalist at pleasing people. And man, (laughs) did I pay the price for that. And the moment I learned that my greatest gift I can give is just to be me. And when I am, there's going to be people that like me and there's going to be people that don't. And here's my message. When you're you, If people like you for who you are, that's awesome. If there's people that don't like you for who you are, that's awesome. (laughs) Because when you're trying to please people or trying to be someone different to make other people happy, the amount of time, energy, money that that costs you, what it robs you of, it will take you into depression. It will take years off your life. But when you just truly be you, and again, whatever that looks like, All of a sudden, you'll be noticing that the people attracted to your energy because they want to get to know you for you, not who they want you to be. You'll be amazed at who comes into your life. Awesome. I love that. And I think that we can definitely kind of all get behind that um, as you continue your impact in this, uh, the giving uh, stage of your life. So this has been phenomenal, Robert. I I, want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining me here uh, on the Trading and Ascension podcast. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. This show was really fun to create, and I'm blessed to be positioned to discuss these topics with you. Um, If you enjoyed and if you benefited from our time together, give this podcast a positive vote, a like, or whatever the platform that you're listening on provides, and I'd really appreciate that. Share this podcast with a trader that you want to see grow into success. And then check out TradingAscension.com for blogs on the trading mindset and trading psychology. You can reach me there as well. Don't miss out on the free trading psychology course. There is nothing like it, and it will no doubt enhance your trading business and results. Now, you'll find videos and links to the masterclass on the website, TradingAscension.com. So go get it now. And last thing, remember to be the hero of your story.